0: I encourage you to make your way to that passage and place a marker there. That's where we'll be spending most of our time together today. It's so great to see you all this morning. We have a wonderful, wonderful crowd here. It's always a blessing to be with the people of God, worshiping God, studying the Word of God. We have several guests who are here with us. We really appreciate your presence. This morning, we're going to get started in 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter. It was truly the darkest hour of King David's life. The effects of his sins with Bathsheba were in full effect. If you remember back in 2 Samuel, chapter 12... After David commits that heinous sin with Bathsheba, the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to him to tell him that the sword would not depart from his house. Meaning, because of all of the horrible, awful, ungodly things that David has done, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy will continue to strike he and his family. And so we know in that passage, the child that was born in that ungodly relationship dies. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 15, things go from bad to worse. David's family continues to be destroyed. Innocent lives are devastated. And the king will soon find himself in a very hopeless and helpless situation. The hearts, the minds, and the devotion of his people, his nation, and his entire kingdom are struck by another man. Everyone is in love with Absalom. Absalom, David's own son, has conspired against him. He has rebelled against him. And he has driven his father off of his throne, out of his palace, and far away from his kingdom. Friends, there is no more pathetic page in the Old Testament than that which tells the story of King David's flight from his son Absalom. The king is hopeless. He is helpless. He has no strength, no courage, no will, no spirit, and absolutely no desire to stand up for himself and fight. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, a man by the name of Shimei runs along by him, flinging rocks and dust at him, crying out, Get out, you worthless man. Get out. And David just takes it. He says, Let him curse me, for the Lord has told him to. Do you see it? At this point in David's life, in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18, King David has hit rock bottom. He's hopeless, he's helpless, and he is totally heartbroken. Totally heartbroken and totally fearful. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 14, that David said to all of his servants, Arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So here in this passage, we see that David gathers together a faithful few. And he tells this faithful few, Hey, Absalom is coming. Absalom is about to kill us. We need to get out of the city before we die. And so David and his men run from Absalom. They make their way to the edge of the city. And when they get to the edge of the city, David stops. He scans the crowd. He sees who is still with him. And he is surprised by who he finds. When he scans the crowd, he finds a man by the name of Ittai the Gittite, along with 600 other men, women, and children from the town of Gath. This was Philistine territory, heathen territory, pagan territory, enemy territory. If you remember a few years ago, David slaughters a giant from Philistine. Now we have all of these Philistines, all of these pagans, all of these foreigners who are following David into the wilderness. And so the natural question that we ask ourselves, the natural question that David asks himself is, Why in the world are these heathens following the king of Israel? The text says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, in verse number 19, David addresses Ittai. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where." Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. David says to Ittai, why in the world are you following me? You're a foreigner. You're in exile. You're not from here. You have absolutely no association with all of the drama and all of the chaos that is going on in Jerusalem. You haven't even been in Jerusalem very long. You're not connected with these problems You don't want these problems. Get out. Go back home. Enjoy the peace, the comfort, and the security of your life in Gath. Enjoy that. You don't want to follow me. But Ittai responds to him in 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse number 21. As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, Whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. What a remarkable statement. This is a statement that shows Ittai's unwavering love, devotion, respect, and loyalty to his king. This is a statement that was made by Ruth. Back in Ruth chapter 1. When Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her, hey, you don't need to travel to Bethlehem with me. Stay in Moab. Enjoy the peace, comfort, and security of Moab. You don't want to go with me. But Ruth says, I'm going to go with you wherever you go, even if it leads to death. This is the same statement that Ittai makes here in 2 Samuel chapter 15. It shows his unwavering love and devotion to his king. And this is so shocking because Ittai, again, was a man who was from the heathen, pagan, Philistine nation of Gath. He hadn't even been connected with David and the people of God for very long. And now he is acknowledging Yahweh as the Lord of all creation. David, your God is my God. You are my king. I am your servant. And I am willing to walk with you wherever you go, even if it leads to death. When David was in his darkest hour, when when he was completely and totally heartbroken, when his son Absalom literally ran him off of his throne, David scanned the crowd and he found a selfless servant by the name of Ittai who was willing to walk with his king wherever he went. The text continues to say in 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse number 21, after David says, you don't want these problems. Go back home. Ittai says in verse 21, as the Lord lives, and as the Lord my king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all of his men and all of the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all of the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Not only has Ittai and his 600 men followed David out of Gath and into Jerusalem... Not only did they follow their king out of Jerusalem to the edge of the city, but after David tells them to go back home, Ittai and his 600 men continue to follow their king through the brook and into the wilderness. The hot, dry, desert wilderness where there's no peace, no comfort, and absolutely no security. This man, this Philistine man, could have gone back to his hometown. He could have enjoyed the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. He could have been showered with good things, but he chose rather, he chose rather to walk with his king wherever his king went. Ittai was a selfless servant who was willing to walk with his king. But not only that, he was a selfless servant who was willing to weep with his king. As the story continues in 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse number 30, as David and his men are making their way through the wilderness, the text says in verse 30, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. The king in this moment is full of emotion. He's struck. He is overcome with emotion. He is in his darkest hour. He has sinned against the Lord. He has brought tragedy upon tragedy to himself, to his family, to his nation. And he has ultimately sinned against God. He is weeping. He's mourning. He's lamenting. He's pouring out his heart. Things have gone from bad to worse in his life. The child that he and Bathsheba bore dies. His daughter Tamar is abused by her brother uh, Amnon. Amnon is murdered by his brother Absalom. And now Absalom is after David's life. His own son is about to kill him. His children are dying. His children are being abused. His children are murdering one another. His children are trying to kill him. He is weeping. He's grieving. He's hit rock bottom. But the beautiful thing about all of this is, while David was in his darkest hour, he was not alone as he's climbing up the ascent of the Mount of Olives with his head covered, his feet bare, weeping, he was not weeping alone. Everyone in his company wept with him. In the latter half of verse number 30, this text says, 2 Samuel chapter 15 in the latter half of verse number 30, And all of the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went this entire company who is with David feel the same amount of guilt, they feel the same amount of grief, the same amount of sorrow, and the same amount of pain that their king is experiencing. And what is even more remarkable about this is Ittai was in this company. And Ittai was a man who was not physically connected with anyone in Israel. He hadn't even been in Jerusalem for very long. He was not connected with these people Physically, but friends, he was connected with his king emotionally. As his king is pouring out his heart, as he's grieving, as he's lamenting, as he's mourning, Ittai was too. He was a man who was willing to weep with his king. But not only that, third and finally, in David's darkest hour, when he hit rock bottom, as his son Absalom is literally running him off of his throne... King David scans the crowd to see who's with him, and he finds a selfless servant who's willing to walk with him all the way through the wilderness, up the Mount of Olives, and straight into war. Ittai was a man who was willing to go to war for his king. In 2 Samuel chapter 18. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, just after Absalom listens to the advice of King David's secret messenger Hushai, He gathers together the rebellious Israelite army and he goes to war against David. Unbeknownst to Absalom, this plan that Hushai devised for Absalom gave David and his men plenty of time to rest and plenty of time to get themselves ready for war. And so now everything is on the line. Absalom and the rebellious Israelites are standing on one side David and his men are standing on the other side. They're about to fight. Before they fight, David selects three commanders to lead his army into battle. The text says in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number one. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zerui, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai the Gittite. Out of all of the people who are with David in this moment, out of all of the Israelites, out of all the people who are from Jerusalem, out of all the people who are physically connected with David, out of all of the people who who lived their entire lives worshiping the God of wonders, out of all of these people, David didn't choose one of them. He chose Ittai the Gittite. He chose a man who was a pagan. He chose a man who was a Philistine. He chose a man who hadn't even been in Jerusalem very long. He chose this man who was a selfless servant who was willing to walk with him, weep with him, and finally fight for him. How remarkable is that? And so as the story continues, David says, hey, I going to go to war with you guys. And the three commanders say, no, David, you're not going to go to war. It's in your best interest and it's in our best interest that you stay back while we go and fight. And so David says, whatever you wish, I will do. And the passage continues to say in verse number five, that the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all of the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all of the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. 20,000 Israelite rebels were slaughtered in the forest. The battle was won. The battle was won because David, when he was in his darkest hour, when he had hit rock bottom, he scanned the crowd, he looked and saw who was still following him, and he found a selfless servant by the name of Ittai. Ittai was a selfless servant who was willing to walk with his king through the wilderness. He was willing to weep with his king up the Mount of Olives, and he was willing to fight for his king here in the forest. And because of this, the battle was won, Absalom was killed, and David reclaimed his throne. What a remarkable story. This morning, I'm so happy to tell you about an even more remarkable story. About 2,000 years ago, like David, our King Jesus left his throne. And what is even more remarkable about Jesus and his story is He wasn't driven off of His throne. And He didn't leave His throne because of His own sins. Christ willingly left His throne for our sins, our shortcomings, our iniquities, all of the horrible, awful, ungodly things that we have done. That's why our King left His throne. And so the question that we ask ourselves this morning is, how will I respond to this? How will I respond to the fact that my king willingly left his throne, came to this earth to suffer and die for a horrible, wretched sinner like me? How do I respond to the fact that my king left his throne, came to this earth, stripped himself of his majesty, clothed himself with flesh and blood, became sin so that I would be the righteousness of God? How do I respond to that fact? How do I respond to the fact that my king left his throne, came to this earth, and became a curse so that I would not be a curse? How do I respond to the fact that my king humbled himself, left his throne, came to this earth, and suffered the wrath of God so that I would not have to suffer God's wrath? How do I respond to the matchless love of my king Like Ittai, I must humble myself and walk with my king. Because the Lord has done so many wonderful things for me, because he left his throne for me, for my sins, I'm going to walk with him. How do I walk with him? Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself and take up his cross, his death instrument, daily and follow me. The first step to walking with our king is self-denial. Itai had to deny himself. He had to deny paganism. He had to deny idolatry and walk with his king. He announced Yahweh as Lord. He denied himself of all of his pleasures, all of his comforts, everything that he had formerly knew in Gath, to walk with his king. Likewise, if we want to get to know our king, if we want to be a part of his spiritual family, then we must deny ourselves and walk with him. We're not going to live our lives according to our wishes, our will, our desires, and our wants. Everything is going to be for the Lord's wish, his will, his desire, and his wants. This is what it means to walk with our king. And this is not going to be an easy journey. It will be hard. Hard times will come. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, after His disciples say, Lord, Lord, we'll go with you wherever you go. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but your heavenly Father has nowhere to lay His head. The point that Jesus was making in that passage is, walking with Him will not always be easy. Walking with Him will not always be comfortable. Walking with Him will be hard at times. But if we want to stay on path, then we must have faith and we must be focused on the course. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus makes this point very clear. His disciples are out at sea. The winds are rocking and they're rolling. They see someone who is walking towards them on the sea. They think it's a ghost. They cry out in fear. Jesus says, have no fear, it is I. And so Peter, as he often does, speaks up. Lord, can I walk out with you? Jesus says, Come. Peter begins to walk. He does well for some time, and then he notices the winds, he notices the waves, and he begins to sink. He cries out in fear, Lord, save me! Jesus grabs him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter sank, he fell off course. He was unable to walk with his king in that moment because he lost faith and he lost focus. If we want to stay on path, then we must have faith and we must remain focused. Life will not always be easy. Life will not always be peaches. Life will not always be sunshine and rainbows. The winds and the waves will come, but we must have faith and we must stay focused on the prize. As the Apostle Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, Stay focused on the prize, spiritual maturation. We want to one day be in a place with the Lord where we will be eternally, eternally surrounded by the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. A place with no sin, no tears, no fear, and no sorrow. Focus on that. You'll be able to stay on path. We must walk with our King. Christ humbly left his throne for me and for you. And the least that we can do is walk with him until the day that we die. And we will be with him forever. But not only that, since Christ has done so many wonderful things for us, we must be willing to weep with our king. He left heaven, he came to this earth, he suffered and he died for us. We must weep with him. Ittai wept with his king. He made himself emotionally vulnerable to the things that bothered his king. Likewise, we must make ourselves emotionally vulnerable to the things that bother our king. To the things that make our Savior weep. What makes him weep? Sin. Sin makes our Savior weep. In John chapter 11, as Jesus is entering into the city of Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four whole days. Everyone is weeping and wailing. Lazarus' sisters are weeping and wailing. All of the Jews are weeping and wailing. And Jesus, Jesus begins to weep and he begins to wail. Why? Because he was so moved. He was so disturbed. He was so upset of how death brought grief, pain, sorrow, and agony to his people. And the reason death has entered into this world, the reason that death affects his people, is because of sin. Friends, our king weeps over sin. In Luke chapters 13 and Luke chapter 19, Christ wept over the city of Jerusalem. He looked at Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to it. How I wish. I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her brood, but you wouldn't let me. Oh, Jerusalem, you're lost. You're about to perish in your sins. Jesus wept because his beloved nation of Israel were lost in their sins. Our king weeps over sin. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer speaks of Christ, how he in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications to God with loud cries and tears. He offered up prayers and supplications to him who was able to save him from death with loud cries and tears. Why? Because he was so emotionally disturbed over the pain, the agony, and the torture that he was about to experience because of our sins. Do you see it? All throughout Scripture, our Lord wept bitterly over sin and so back to our original point since Christ has been so good to us since he left his throne came to this earth to suffer and die for my sins I'm going to be bothered by sin I'm not going to take sin lightly I'm going to grieve over sin. When I see sin, I'm going to call it out. When I sin, I'm going to do better. I'm going to take sin seriously because it was my sins that caused Christ to leave heaven. It was my sins that rejected Him in His darkest hour. It was my sins that tortured Him. It was my sins that spit on Him, that mocked Him, that slapped Him, that scourged Him, that had His hands nailed to that tree. It was my sins that caused my Savior to pour out His blood for me, and for that reason, I weep bitterly. Will the Lord find selfless servants who are willing to walk with Him, weep with Him, and finally go to war for Him? Will we go to war with our Savior? Ittai was willing to stand up and fight for his King. Are we willing to stand up and fight for the King of Kings? There is a spiritual battle that is going on right before our very eyes. And this isn't a battle against flesh and blood. This isn't a physical struggle. This is a spiritual struggle as the apostle Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 Corinthians, chapter 10 and Ephesians, chapter 6. This is a spiritual struggle against rulers, authorities, principalities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what is going on before us from the very very beginning. Of time. God put enmity between the seed of, of man and the seed of woman. There is a fight that is going on. Are we going to be a part of it? As children of God, we have been called to be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 9. We have been called to be watchful, to stand firm, and to act like men. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. We have been called to contend for the faith. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. We are called to be Everything shy of cowardice, Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8. We have absolutely no time and no opportunity to sit back and do nothing. There is a war that is going on around us. The way our society is going is heartbreaking. There are so many people who are denying the Lord, falling away from the Lord, and rebelling against godliness. There are violently opposing godliness... People who oppose the truth are being exalted, while those who stand up for the truth are being persecuted. We shouldn't care less about that. We must stand up for the truth. We must engage in battle. This spiritual struggle. How do we engage? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly how we engage in this spiritual struggle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse number. 4 Paul says for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but we have a divine power to destroy strongholds how do we destroy them Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What is he saying? What Paul is saying is when false teaching, false doctrine and corruptions enters into this spiritual realm that we have been put in, we have to stand up for truth. When we hear error, we must speak out. When we see error, we must speak out. We must live in truth and speak the truth. That is how we fight. That is how we fight. We must take every thought captive to obey Christ. We must not be so concerned about the frivolous, mundane cares and concerns of this physical life because we are engaged in a spiritual war. Paul makes this point even clearer to the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy that he should not concern himself with the mundane things of this life but he should be concerned on that which is spiritual. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Paul writes, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlists him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Paul continues to tell the young evangelist to remind his listeners of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but it only ruins hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. That's what we must do. That is how we fight. We stand up and we speak the truth. Paul says in verse 22, 22, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And when this is done, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. And guess what? They will escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we do these things that Paul describes here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, this world that is bound by sin and death, this world that is bound by ungodliness and unfaithfulness will be released and they will glorify and magnify the Lord. This world will glorify God. They will magnify God. When we glorify God, when we magnify God, when we engage in battle, when we stand up for what is right, God needs His servants every day to go to war for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every single day, we must wake up in the morning and fasten on that belt of truth, fasten on that breastplate of righteousness, step into the shoes of the gospel of peace with the shield of faith in one hand and the sword of the Spirit in the other hand, with the helmet of salvation buckled to our head, and fight. That is what we must do. And when we do that, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God will be proclaimed to the heavenly places, and the battle will be won. Ittai was a man, a selfless servant, who was willing to walk with his king, weep with his king, and go to war for his king. May the Lord find selfless servants today who are humble enough to weep with our king, walk with our king, and fight with our king. And when we do this, the battle will be won. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the perfect opportunity to become one. You do so by hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, believing that Jesus Christ is His Son, making a commitment to follow him and to serve him and to devote your life to him until your life on this earth is done, making a public confession of your belief in Christ and your uh, diligence to, to strive to walk after him. And after you've done all of that, you go to the watery grave of baptism and have your sins completely washed away, coming up a child of God, ready to engage in this spiritual battle that we are involved in. If you've done that before but you've fallen away, you've made mistakes and you would like to make things right, or if you have any other spiritual need this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing.